0: Let me tell you a story. In this season of storytelling and the stories of Christmas, we live in a world that is obsessed with the goodness of these holidays that we are approaching. We do it to the nines here in the West. We decorate our homes, we decorate our lives, we invite people into them. We write songs about just how great Christmas is simply having a wonderful christmas time christians are guilty of it too right at some point in this season we will all gather in one voice and sing joy to the world the lord has come the chromatic scale in the key of c how beautiful it is to celebrate the good work of the birth of christ and then along comes Andy williams in 1963 And he writes, it's the most wonderful time of the year. Actually, I take that back. He was the first to record it. The writers were actually named Eddie Pola and George Weil. And if I could sit down with Eddie and George, I would ask this question about their song. It is familiar to us, right? Uh, Most wonderful time of year, kids with bells jingling, everyone telling you, be of good cheer. This reinforced story of the world, the happiest season of all. It is as if Hallmark cards have vomited among us. And then we have this chorus. There'll be parties for hosting. Some of you will have people in your home in the holiday season. Marshmallows for toasting. You might not toast marshmallows as a part of your Christmas celebration. But we know how to do us some carbohydrates in the holidays. And caroling out in the snow. Now, there's like six and a half feet in Buffalo. They displaced the NFL game today. It got down to like 60 and it was terrifying. And we were all wearing beanies this last week here in Southern California. And then the next line there'll be scary ghost stories and tells of the glories of Christmas long, long ago. Eddie and George. There'll be scary ghost stories in the most wonderful time of the year. How is it we come to this place? Well, we believe that this line makes its way into the song out of what is a Victorian tradition of storytelling in this time that involves ghosts interceding in the human experience. And so these ghost stories at Christmas are intended to open our eyes and our lives to see more clearly what is going on in the true spirit of Christmas. We call to mind first Charles Dickens' work in A Christmas Carol. The Jacob Marley and the ghosts of Christmas past, present, and future visiting upon Ebenezer Scrooge, a witness to who he was in his story, where he is today, and the future that will fall upon him if he continues down this path. Why? So that scary ghost stories change Scrooge. That he learns a different perspective and a different way to go. It's a tradition that continues from Victorian era, and even Louise Malcott wrote a story that reinterpreted that, but set it in dreams for Christmas children. But this idea that at Christmas, in the most wonderful time of year, we still might run into scary ghost stories, or the unexpected, or things that are just crisis-driven. What happens when your holiday is less than perfect? We stand at the precipice of Thanksgiving week, and we move into this, and it is entirely possible that the holidays may very well fall apart. How many of you have ever served burnt food at Thanksgiving? How many of you have missed connections because of airport delays or long TSA lines or angry Karen shaking their fist about, you must get me to my seat first? Now, I don't want anybody to worry about the burnt pie on the screen. The pies that the youth are producing in the next 48 hours will be fabulous and won't look like that, I've been assured. But sometimes our expectations of perfection in this season run headfirst into crisis and the unexpected. Burnt food, missed connections, and even in our scriptures, there's one that I don't think any of us have really run into in the holidays, or hopefully not, infidelity, Broken marriages and promises. What happens when our hope for the holidays and our expectations are so fraught with terror and problems that we think we might just throw a whole relationship out the window? That's where our word of hope and our gospel story comes to us today. I want to tell you Joseph's story from the gospel of Matthew. It's in the first chapter, beginning in the 18th verse. This is how the birth of Jesus came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he'd considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to the son. Joseph gave him the name Jesus. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Joseph's experience of Christmas starts in crisis. What happens when you are engaged to another and find that they are pregnant by no activity of your own? Joseph, in the midst of his dignity, in the midst of his pride, in the midst of not wanting to violate social covenants or to break relationships and friendships, decides kindly to set Mary aside and to not be public about a divorce from her. He bids her just kind of go away and let things settle and dissolve such that he might not be tarnished by having to embrace someone who bears a son that is not his own. But God's story for Joseph in Christmas is about a change in perspective gospel of Matthew tells us that Joseph was a good and right man and in the midst of that righteousness God still had to change his mind and his perspective he sends him an angel that says to him do not be afraid that is a refrain that comes up again and again in our scriptures more often than not when people encounter God in a real way that when they see God face to face, heart to heart, soul to soul in the midst of their life's crisis people in Scripture often find themselves terrified and so the angel says to Joseph don't be afraid don't be afraid of this situation don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because God's perspective on this is bigger and broader than yours but this matter of fear important because it drives this story it makes me ask what are our fears this Christmas what are our fears this Thanksgiving week what are our fears in the 30 plus days to come about what will happen about what won't happen about what we might see in the news and in our world or what might take place in our homes what are we afraid of corporately The state of the Methodist church and disaffiliations. The struggles that we have to be the people of God together. the, The world that we see around us and the violence that's still perpetuated on those who are different. What do we fear in our families? Are there relationships that are hurting? Are there conversations that will go unspoken this holiday season because we know that they're just too dark, too difficult, too painful? What do we fear in ourselves? What do we struggle with? That we're going to be enough, that we're going to be perfect. That the pictures or the food or the stories or the events are all going to turn out just as they should and be what will look good. We carry fear in this Christmas season. I lifted up this analogy in the first service and I found it to be helpful. I sat in our sanctuary when I came in this morning and I noticed our beautiful Christmas trees that were decorated at the Advent celebration. And they served to me as a beautiful visual metaphor of who we are as a people and who you might be on the inside as a person. It may be that in the holidays this Christmas, you are bright and shiny and new. It may be that the same tree is feeling a little bit older And it's just a little bit dimmer this holiday. You may feel a little fuller as you come into the holiday season. However, we get there, what are our fears this Christmas? Because if we know our fears, we may be able to lean into God's perspective and the remedy. Do you know what the remedy is in Joseph's story? It's a story of salvation and of presence. The two things Joseph is told about the son that he will raise as earthly father is he will come and save his people from their sins. You will call him Jesus, for he will be their savior. And he will be known as Emmanuel, God with us, the intersection of salvation from brokenness and sinfulness. And the invitation to know that God is present with us is the remedy for the fear in Joseph's story at Christmas. But in the midst of that, it also has to become a story of obedience for Joseph. Scriptures tell us in the Gospel of Matthew, it says, Joseph took Mary as his wife, but they did not consummate their relationship until after the son was born. It is as if Matthew wants to speak to our anxieties and our confusion and our suspicions about the DNA of Jesus. He says, no, this is a holy gift in a holy time. Jesus comes as the gift of the Holy Spirit to humanity that we might know salvation, that we might know Emmanuel, God, with us. And that it might teach us each something about a pattern of obedience. When we come to the stories of Christmas with fear and anxiety, looking for a light of hope in this season, what may be required is a change of perspective. And this, for me, is the most helpful discipline that I try to achieve in this time these two words are etymologically identical holiday comes from holy days but i know for me there are times in my life and in my story where i treat the experiences over the next 40 days like the holidays when i hate the people in line and target in front of me who are taking too long when things don't turn out perfect when we struggle with where to put all of my wife's many nativities out in our house when things aren't great those are the holidays. And in the midst of that, it invites an opportunity for Andy and for each of us to say, no, no, my friend, these aren't just the holidays. These are holy days. The world's story emphasizes the holidayness of this time. But we can change our perspective, replace those thoughts when we are overwhelmed, when we are stressed, when we are angry, when we are confused, and to address our fears by saying this is not just a holiday season. These are holy day seasons. Where God is giving us the gift of time, that we might make of our time a gift to God in the patterns of our discipleship, in our prayer life, in our study, in how we worship together just as we are in this time, how we serve others in acts of service. All of these serve to redirect the experience of that which is the holiday noise and busyness that Jackson spoke to and replace it with an invitation for God's voice to tell us a story of holiness and hope in the days ahead. We are coming into Thanksgiving. We are taking that step into a week where, as a nation, we will be reminded of the holiday of Thanksgiving. And every time we come to this week, I try to remember that our national origin as a people for this holiday is very different than the kind of uh, tropes and the kind of lightness by which we treat this week. I'm guilty of it, too. I will watch some football this week. I will eat some turkey and some pumpkin pie, I will do the holiday things, but in the midst of it there lives within me a tension of how we get here. And I don't mean, by the way, pilgrims and first nations people. What gets to the real heart of the story for me is how it is we come to have a national day of thanksgiving from 1863. Those of you that are teachers of history might know that the American Civil War ran from 1861 to 1865. And so in October of 1863, Abraham Lincoln proclaimed a national day of Thanksgiving on a Thursday in November. In the middle of the crisis of American men killing their brothers, north and south, in a great divide, it is then that we interrupt that cycle with a call for Thanksgiving. And Lincoln's proclamation about who we should be lifts the idea out of just a holiday where we should get together and do something to invite us to consider the gift that we have. Lincoln writes that in the midst of a civil war of unequaled magnitude and severity, which sometimes seemed to foreign states an opportunity to invite and provoke their aggressions, peace has been preserved with all other nations. Order has been maintained. The law has been respected and obeyed, and harmony has prevailed everywhere except in our own theater of military conflict. Skipping down, he goes on to say this. We ought to practice a spirit of gratitude because we are growing in God's grace. Fields are being gathered. Populations are increasing. We are seeing signs even in the midst of war, of hope and possibility, and that while there is a battlefield in our very midst, a struggle in who we are, the consciousness of our very country has been augmented. Still yet, we have years Of the increase of freedom and so let us give thanks and in the midst of that he writes no human counsel hath devised nor hath any mortal hand worked out the great things that we're living into it is not because we have done these things that we ought to give thanks they're the gracious gift of the Most High God who while dealing with us in anger for our sins hath nevertheless remembered mercy He makes his official proclamation and closes with these words, which have always struck me. I recommend to all of you that while offering up prayers of ascription justly due to God for such singular deliverances and blessings, while saying thank you, they do also with humble penitence for our national perverseness and disobedience command to God's tender care all those who have become widows, orphans, mourners, or sufferers in the lamentable civil strife in which we are unavoidably engaged, and fervently implore the interposition of the almighty hand to heal the wounds of the nation and to restore it as soon as may be consistent with God's divine purposes and to the full enjoyment of peace, harmony, tranquility, and unity. Friends, I don't know what our president is going to offer as a proclamation this week. I have severe doubts that it will talk about our national perverseness, the violence we continue to perpetuate upon one another, or a need for corporate repentance, and a longing that God may somehow work in the midst of us for healing and restoration. But what I know is this. Thanksgiving as a holiday comes out of a longing for the holiness of God to be present in your story and in mine. And Thursday, my hope is is that no matter how you get there, you find an opportunity to lift our eyes from the experiences of the holiday and to see God in the midst of a holy day, where no matter the crisis, no matter the strife, no matter the burnt food or the misconnections, no matter the, the struggles that we're having, or even if it was infidelity, to honor that God is giving us time, that we might give time to God. Such is the work of Advent. And as we journey to Christmas together, as we take these various stories from our faith life and try to find our part and our place in that story... Even when we are burdened by crisis and failed expectation, God is at work transforming you and transforming me. But in the spirit of thanksgiving, I want to give thanks. I want to give thanks for all of you, for your warm welcome to this place and to this people, for the beauty of this season and for all of the hands that bring together the aesthetics and the joy of this place in these holy days. I want to give you thanks for your witness to the gospel and to the love of Christ in this place to a radical sense of hospitality and accountability that we can make this world better. I want to give you thanks for your spirit of generosity and the ways in which we've already seen it expressed by the tags taken from the caring and sharing tree, from the gifts that have already started to appear, and know that we have the opportunity to share today with some new families as we've received some needs from Bowman High School here in our community, and it's a chance for us to continue a work of generosity in the midst of scares. And I want to thank you for your witness, for being a people who are here for good, to be a transformative force in the midst of a world that needs to lift its eyes to see love and hope and possibility. That's what you do in these holy days ahead. So thanks be to God. Amen. Let's pray.